Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. Welcome I'm to More Sadie, Than Amuse podcast. Welcome back to a podcast episode. all about this women and the art, artist hosted by Stani and Sadie. And Join I'm us as excited. we explore what it's I like being too. a female artist, examine modern day about, problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. I had just been thinking about this person this week because when I heard that quote, I was like, I know what she's referencing. But in my brain for a minute, I was like, why is it so familiar? Is it like a type of wine, like Bardot? Oh, like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it sounds so French. So I remember I just Googled Bardot because I was like, what is she referencing here? I know this reference. And then it brought uh-huh. up Bridget Bardot. And that is the reason why we are covering her today is because I, too, listened to Olivia Rodrigo's new album, Guts, and the song Lacey has a lyric in the second verse. And the lyric goes, Dazzling starlet, Bardot, reincarnate, aren't you the greatest thing to ever exist? And I have to say, I really appreciate her not using Monroe reincarnate. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it was a more unique reference for sure. Very niche. Very niche indeed. But I guess though, as I learned about her, Maybe not niche at all in the sense that she is truly an icon of Mm. the 50s and 60s and went on to inspire so many things, whether that was in the fashion trends or even just inspiring other iconic artists of our time, or I guess of previous times. But anyways, so of course, yeah, once I heard that lyric, I too looked up Bardot and I remember that it was a person, but I was like, whoa, I actually... I know nothing about mm-hmm. this person. And it's the ever going trend with the women we cover where we vaguely hear them again and then we're like, wait, wh- what? Oh, who's yeah. that? And then you learn all about them and it provides the context. And so it's definitely like one of fun. those names you hear over and over again your whole life, but you don't know any of the background. You're just yeah. like, you don't oh, yeah. like ever stop to think, wait, but who is that person? Nope. <laughs> exactly. Not even once. Before we do completely dive into the episode, I do want to give a little bit of a disclaimer because, okay, so I started a lot of research on Bridget Bardot and there are some problematic things that she says in her life. I don't necessarily want to say like all of the bad things she believes, but for reference, she has been fined six times for inciting racial hatred from the French government because she criticized immigration and Islam. So there's a lot of very problematic things. And I had a conversation with Stani about this where I was like, okay, I we're not endorsing this person when we cover them. But like in a way, it's kind of like giving them a platform. So instead, I want this episode to be more so on the Bardo effect or the Bardo myth rather than the person. Because I'm not intending to put her up on a pedestal, but also people from history are complicated and mm-hmm. not one dimensional good and or bad people. And so I just want to acknowledge that straight up from the beginning And also note that, like, I'm not really going to be talking about it. I will be talking about her early life and the parts of her career that, like, led her to become the icon that she was. 
But a lot of it, like I said, is going to mainly be focused on the effects that she had on pop culture and really just how widespread her image was in ways that I did not even realize. Yeah. So it was really cool and interesting to learn. But like I said, I wanted just to say that straight up from the go. I'm sure she's not the first problematic mm-hmm. person that we've covered. We don't know everything about these people. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> just important to recognize we do not endorse anything she stands for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like I said, that's why I'm turning the focus less about the person and more about mm. the myth and the effect on 60s culture that she was. Because she truly was a force at the time in a way that I did not understand. It was cool to learn about. But anyways, so to dive right in, Bridget Bardot. So who is she? First off, she was born September 28th of 1934, and she's often referred to by her initials BB. She is a French animal rights activist and a former actress, singer, and model And she's famous for portraying sexually emancipated characters, often with like hedonistic lifestyles. And she was one of the best known sex symbols of the 1950s and 1960s. Something interesting about her is that she withdrew from the entertainment industry in 1973. She very purposely said, I'm leaving. I'm not interested in doing this anymore. And then she never went back to being in movies or being an entertainer after that. But like I mentioned, as she was a very big sex symbol, she's like a noted figure in ushering in the sexual cultural revolution. A big deal, and I'll talk about it a little bit more, but there's like a myth of the Bardo, of who is she really? And I think it's because of the fact that in the 70s, she just left public consciousness. She was a very vocal animal rights activist to the point of that's actually what got her in trouble is because it's almost like she was so much standing up for animals that like there was a quote that I read that it's like she loves animals so much that she like doesn't actually care about people anymore so she was putting animals on a higher pedestal than people of other races so that's the problematic behavior yeah but she was very into her animal rights activism and that was what I guess really has been the focus of her life since she stepped away from acting a good thing in theory But it went a little bit too far, I think. (laughs) Everything in moderation, right? Yes, exactly. Everything in moderation, for sure. But she was born and raised in Paris. And she grew up in a very conservative Catholic family, as had her father. And the articles that I read mentioned that like, she like grew up in a beautiful seven-bedroom apartment in a very nice part of town. So she had a very rich background. I don't think I've ever even seen a seven-bedroom apartment. I know. That's... I don't even know if I've ever been in a seven-bedroom home. Probably a home, but an apartment. I've never lived in a seven-bedroom home. That's (laughs) true. No, but a seven-bedroom apartment, I think there's one of those. There's a TikTok account that toured New York apartment buildings, and one of them was like a huge, big one. And I was like, oh, that's like how rich people live in New York City because they can't own homes. They just have huge apartments. That again, I was like, that's not a lifestyle I'm acquainted with. But no. Wow. Seven Mm -hmm. bedrooms. Regardless of the fact that she did come from a very lavish background, she was really resentful in her early years because her father was very strict and was very demanding and was very strict in like the behavioral standards, like table manners and wearing appropriate clothes. Her mom was also really apparently like selective about who she could be friends with. So because of that, she did not have a lot of childhood friends. This was a like intense story told about this moment where her and her sister broke her parents favorite vase while they were just playing in the house and as a result of that her father whipped the sisters 20 times and after that treated them as strangers 
demanding that they address their parents by the formal pronoun vous, which if you're not familiar with the French language, there's two tenses essentially of you. Okay. One's like meant Spanish. for, yeah, exactly. Just like Spanish yeah. where it's one's meant for people that are strangers or like people you respect. And then one's meant for people that you're just very comfortable with. And after that incident, they he said that he had addressed them with the vous tense, which is used, like I said, when you're speaking to an unfamiliar, higher status person outside of your family. That's so abusive. Yeah. And then after that, of course, like this led to a lot of resentment that eventually led to her rebellious lifestyle, I guess you could call it. What I thought was interesting, too, is like she was in Paris during the Nazi occupation during World War II. Um, because of that, she spent more time at home because there was pretty intense civilian surveillance. And so during this time, though, she would dance a lot, um, dancing in records, which her mother saw as a potential for a ballet career. Okay. I'm assuming like after the war, she started going to private school just a couple of days a week. And so she could take time to do dance lessons at a local studio. And then in 1949, she was accepted at the Conservatoire de Paris. For three years, she attended ballet classes held by a Russian choreographer. And so she's training to be a dancer at this point. And then in 1949, the director of the magazines Elle and Le Jardin des Modes, which Elle magazine is a pretty big deal one. And the director, her name was Helene Gordon Lazareff. She actually hired Bardot in, like I mentioned, 1949 as a junior fashion model. And then on March 8th, 1950, she was 15 at the time. She appeared on the cover of Elle, which brought her an acting offer for the film Les Laris Sans Coup. Quick note is that I'm going to be saying a lot of film names in <laughs> French. Forgive me <laughs> for uh, the French. <laughs> I should have taken French. I feel I like we really use should. French more than so many other languages. And I'm like, darn it. I even took two semesters of French in college. And I'm <laughs> feeling like I, I was hoping that would aid me a little bit more because, uh, yeah, apparently yeah. this is the language that we need to be fluent in for this podcast. Yeah, apparently <laughs> it's fine. so. But her parents were very strictly opposed to her becoming an actress. But her grandfather was actually supportive, saying, quote, if this little girl is to become a whore, cinema will not be the cause. Which Holy crap. doesn't feel encouraging, <laughs> but you know what? It technically was supported. Oh, wow. Her family sounds a lot of the reasons why she probably has some of the horrid viewpoints that she's known for. Perhaps. They don't strike me as the warmest of people, you know? Or the most welcoming or empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This sounds a little iffy there. Yeah. But at this audition for the movie that they scouted her for, she met a man by the name of Roger Fadim, who actually went on to become play a really big role in her life. He was actually the one who notified her that she did not get the role. But after this, they fell in love and her parents fiercely opposed this relationship. And her father announced to her one evening that she would continue her education in England and that he had bought her a train ticket for the following day. And as a response, she reacted by putting her head in an oven with open fire. Her parents stopped her and ultimately accepted the relationship on the condition that she marry him at the age of 18. Holy crap. Yes. Yeah, this family is a piece of work. Yeah, it's really <laughs> intense emotions. She's now in a relationship with this man, Roger, and she appeared on the cover of Elle magazine again in 1952, which actually landed her an offer for a small part in the comedy film Crazy for Love. That same year, it was directed by Jean Boyer, and she was actually paid... 200,000 francs for it, but actually that's equivalent to 575 US dollars in okay. 1952. But it was just a really small role portraying a cousin of the main character. And then she had her second film role in 53 in a movie called Menina, the Girl in the Bikini. 
And then she had roles in other 1953 films called The Long Teeth and His Father's Portrait. So during this time of her career, she is just in a lot of movies. I wasn't going to list all of them, but this just shows the beginning of her just being in smaller little roles that kind of works her way up to her moment of stardom. There were like four movies that kind of put her on this trajectory in 1956. So this is four years after that very first role that she was offered. There was a musical she was in called Naughty Girl, where Bardot played a troublesome schoolgirl, and that was actually co-written by Roger Vadim. I think that's how you say his name, by the way, which is the same man that she has been in love with. It was a great success. It went on to become the 12th most popular film of the year in France. It was followed by another comedy called Plucking the Daisy in 1956 that was also written by Roger. And then there was another movie called The Bride is Much Too Beautiful also in that year. And then finally... Was he her husband at this time? She actually married him in 1952 when she turned 18. Um, Oh, okay. So they were just having this... So they've been married this whole time. They actually do end up getting divorced in 1956, so this year. And I think it's because she has an affair with someone in the movie that I'm about to mention. But anyways, the movie that catapults her into international stardom was a movie called And God Created Women that was actually Roger Vadim's debut as director. And it starred Bardot opposite of Jean-Louis Trignant and Kurt Jurgens. The movie is about an immoral teenager in an otherwise respectable small town setting. And it was a huge success, not just in France, but around the world, listed among the 10 most popular films in Great Britain in 1957. In the United States, the film, it was the highest grossing film ever released at that point, earned $4 million, um, which seems like not a huge success now in the box office numbers, (laughs) but but still, 1957. Yeah, exactly. And also, too, earning $4 million was just astonishing for a foreign film at the time. And it turned Bardot into an international star. And then from that point in 1956, she was hailed as the, quote, sex kitten. And, you know, that phrase sex kitten, that term exists because of her, because a movie critic or something like they talked about her as and described her as a sex kitten in that movie. And that's where that term comes from. So interesting. is interesting. Another interesting thing about this movie is that in the United States, some theater managers were arrested for even just screening the movie because there was some pretty intense like moral laws and censoring laws at that time. There's an episode that we did just recently where we dived into that. I think it was in the Ursula Parrott episode where we talked about the different rules. No, no, it wasn't. Oh, it was it was in the Judah Barnes. Yeah, we talked about it in that one, I think, for as far as books. But we've brought it up a few times, I think. Yes. Uh-huh. And more recently, another one was Juna Barnes, who was a writer in America who like wrote very openly about lesbian relationships but the censoring people didn't understand what she was talking about so she was able to avoid it but anyway so those are other interesting episodes to go check out that kind of talk about like i think that anime one one has the weird hollywood rules too where like actors couldn't be seen in the same bed as the opposite sex in a movie and like all the stuff like that and interracial things and everything that were super weird yeah it's really interesting to learn about how i don't know how intense that U.S. government and U.S. law was about trying to, like, censor what was moral (laughs) and things like that. It's really weird, especially the fact that it's referenced often as, like, the golden age of Hollywood when there was so much sordid crap going on behind the scenes. 
Totally. So. There is a quote that I liked from Paul O'Neill of Life in, in, descri- in describing Bardot's international popularity, wrote, In gaining her present eminence, Bridget Bardot has had certain advantages beyond those she was born with. Like the European sports car, she has arrived on the American scene at a time when the American public is ready, even hungry, for something racier and more realistic than the familiar domestic product, which I thought was really interesting. And that was right on the cusp from 1950s to 1960s, right? In 56, 57, which like, think about, I don't know, the way that you more stereotypically think of the 50s mm-hmm. versus the 60s in America. Yeah. Like they're totally different decades. And it's interesting that he used her as like a turning point or at least a proof that America was going somewhere different culturally was the fact that they embraced her so much. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the term sex kitten because I was just really, I don't know, it's interesting to me to learn where these, not slang terms, these derogatory terms come from. And I think sometimes it's like hard to pinpoint where exactly it does come from. So I thought it was really interesting to read about the fact that it was like, for sure said the first time, I mean, not obviously ever, but like more publicly, like it was coined as her, like she was the sex kitten. And if we want a definition, it's a woman who exhibits a sexually provocative lifestyle or an abundant sexual aggression is the dictionary definition that I got. Yep. And it originated, like I mentioned, in 1956 in articles in the British and American press that was originally used to describe Bridget Bardot. The 1960s, of course, were just the beginning of an era of women embracing their sexuality after moving forward from the idea that women were very unlikely to experience pleasure during sexual activities. And there's other celebrities that I wanted to mention that were also described as the quote sex kitten. Anne Margaret is another actress who was described as a sex kitten in the 1964 film Kitten with a Whip, which, oh, what a title. But other than Anne Margaret and Bridget Bardot, the term wasn't necessarily associated with any other actresses in Hollywood. <laughs> that is so weird. I'm trying to remember what Anne Margaret... Oh, okay. She was in Bye Bye Birdie. Yep. Just another yeah. one of the more classic starlets. She's in Viva Las Vegas with yeah, Elvis, too. Right. Okay. I was like, we've talked about her. Which I was going to say, that means she'd be featured in The Woman Behind Elvis because I think yes. yeah, we talked about the way that she talked about Elvis. Yeah. So Wasn't she the one that he cheated on priscilla presley with i think so anyway another episode (laughs) another episode look at all of us look at all this content we got (laughs) and then another person who had been publicly referred to as a sex kitten is also another person we've done an episode on which is actually one of our very first episodes which is eartha kitt who is the singer Mm. of santa baby and due to some of those lyrics in the songs they referred to her as the sex kitten and i think that's something she actually embraced which I Didn't she cool. play Catwoman? Yes. See, so kitten with a whip, Catwoman, makes a little bit more sense to call someone a sex kitten. Where on earth did they get the idea to attach kitten to Bridget Bardot's I think it's because she was like a young, I don't know. The, the character so was an immoral teenager, so. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, kitten. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um. <laughs> To talk a little bit more about the movie. So it's called And God Created Women. And like I mentioned, when it was released, it definitely pushed the boundaries of sexuality in American cinema, especially. And um, most available prints of the film were heavily edited, actually, to conform with the Hayes Code, censoral status. There's a filmmaker named Peter Bogdanovich, and he credited it for, quote, breaking French cinema out of the U.S. art houses and into the mainstream and thereby inadvertently also paving the way for the takeover in France of the new wave filmmakers. 
I think France now is very heavily associated with filmmakers. We talked about it most recently. Oh my gosh, we just keep shouting out all these episodes, but <laughs> basically go listen to our entire back catalog. <laughs> yeah, then you'll be caught up. But with Alice Guy Blanchet, who was in France and was one of the very first filmmakers. And this was just like another, I guess, part of it of France yeah. becoming a big deal in the movie world. But to give a very basic plot, it was confusing. It is set in Saint-Tropez and the main character is named Juliet, who is an 18-year-old orphan, actually who apparently with a high level of sexual energy and she makes no effort to restrain her sensuality, lying nude in her yard, kicking off her shoes and stalking about barefoot, disregarding societal conventions about the opinions of others, wearing bikinis. And because of this, it attracts a lot of attention from the men around her. And she like plays to that. I think like multiple brothers like fall in love and try to propose to her and then like people anyways it's it seems very dramatic but the <laughs> end quote i love there's a character named eric and he's talking to another man and he says that girl was made to destroy men which i love it <laughs> and in the final scene her and the person i think she ends up marrying just walk home together holding hands i just love that that girl was made to destroy men. And you know what? What a way to be described. I would be honored Seriously, if someone used that to describe me. <laughs> that Anyways. is so aggressive, though. She does nothing. She just wears a bikini and sunbathes nude in her own yard. And <laughs> she's I destroying. Think so I think the character is like definitely manipulative. But I don't know. It's just it's she was so made to destroy men. How they put women in these super vulnerable positions like an orphan the men were probably yes. all older more powerful than her and yet she's the one that's manipulative and that is so true yes yeah such a weird thing. i love that point i actually found a theatrical advertisement from the u.s and um there are quotes about the movie which was crazy to me so First off, it has a bunch of like silhouettes of just very curvy women drawn. And the quotes from it about the movie is, she is a thing of mobile contours, a phenomenon you have to see to believe. Another one, this picture displays Miss Bardot to the full limit of the law, if not a few inches beyond. <laughs> You've never seen anything like it, a frolic in sensuality. A strawberry blonde bundle of curves and nerves. 90 minutes of uninhibited sex. And then this last one is, and God created women, but the devil invented Bridget Bardot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. And adults only, by the way. Yeah. That's also another <laughs> relevant to that. Yeah, that quote of, and God created women, but the devil invented Bridget Bardot, again, just shows this is how immediately yeah. culture like viewed her. It was like as the pinnacle of beauty and sensuality and Gosh. what you would aspire to and what you would want. Yeah, like the ultimate temptation, pretty the much. The ultimate temptation. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's insane. So after this movie, though, she continued to work in movies for the next 20 years. Again, I'm not going to necessarily list all of them. Some were flops. Some were not flops. I don't think any of them really reached the success of The End God Created Women, but it just mm -hmm. cemented her as an icon. What I thought was interesting. So 
She made one more movie working with Vadim, which is the, the person she married, Roger. So even though they divorced, they still would collaborate on projects. And there was a movie called Don Juan, or If Don Juan Were a Woman, and she actually played the title role. And he said that the film marked, quote, Underneath what people call the Bardot myth was something interesting. Even though she was never considered the most professional actress in the world, for years since she has been growing older and the Bardot myth has become just a souvenir, I was curious in her as a woman and I had to get to the end of something with her, to get out of her and express many things I felt were in her. Bridget always gave the impression of sexual freedom. She is a completely open and free person without any aggression. So I gave her the part of a man that amused me. Which I thought was like an interesting take on it. And then she said, though, about that movie, she said, if Don Juan is not my last movie, it will be my next to last. And she said that during filming and she kept her word and she only made one more film that was called The Edifying and Joyous Story of Colino. That was in 1973. And then in 1973, she announced that she was retiring from acting as a, quote, a way to get out elegantly. She did it for almost 20 years and said she's good. She's done. And then after appearing in more than 40 motion, motion pictures and several musical albums as well, I, I forgot to mention she did record some music. After that, she used her fame to promote animal rights. In 86, she established the Bridget Bardot Foundation for the Welfare and Protection of Animals. She became a vegetarian, raised 3 million francs to fund the foundation by auctioning off jewelry and personal belongings. And that's what she has devoted her life pretty much to since. A couple note of her personal life. She was married four times with her current marriage lasting far longer than the previous three combined, apparently. So she is currently still alive, by the way. She's, I think, in her late mm -hmm. 80s. By her own count, she's had a total of 17 romantic relationships she would apparently characteristically leave for another relationship when the present was getting lukewarm. She said, I have always looked for passion. That's why I was often unfaithful. And when the passion was coming to an end, I was packing my suitcase. Maybe when the passion's coming to an end, break up before you move on. <laughs> nah, that's not, that's too hard. Just kidding. I don't mean that. But like I mentioned, her first husband was that director, Roger Vadim, who ended up directing mm -hmm. When God Created Women. They did actually marry in 1952, but they separated in 1956 because, like I mentioned, she became involved with a co-star from And God Created Women. Yeah. And then they divorced the next year. So, yeah. And there's a lot more about her personal life, of course. But anyways, so that kind of sets up to who she was in the 50s and 60s. And so now I want to talk about Bardo the Icon and just what she went on to influence because I was so surprised even by how much... And also, too, just like when it mentioned something, I would look it up and then be like, oh, that. Oh, my gosh. That's her. You know what I mean? That came from okay. her. Okay. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. This person's name is Devana Robidi, I think is how you would say it. It's D-A-V-A-N-A. -A -A, and then her last name is R-O-B-E-D-E-E. -E. She harvests indigo and dyes textiles Ooh. and then makes these giant, giant, giant installations. And I saw her on TikTok for this TikTok she made that got my blood boiling. It said, in grad school, famous visiting artist once told me he hated fiber art because he didn't like work that looked like it had been made by a woman. Oh. And she said, F that guy. And then goes over and it's this huge piece of art. And she said, I spent over a year's worth of women's work to make this. Oh, my God. He, he didn't like her art 
because it looked like it was made by a woman. Anyway. I hate him, too. Yeah. But they're huge. I, like, literally cannot even describe how big these are. And in the TikTok, you couldn't tell at first how big it was because she was, like, sitting in front of it. So it looked like a little tapestry. Mm -hmm. And then she walks back and you're like, that is an entire wall. (laughs) Yeah. It is huge. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. But just the fact that she harvests and dies and does every part of it and they're just huge and so cool. Yeah. I love it. How cool. I love weaving. I think it is totally underrated. Definitely go check her out. Yeah. I'm obsessed. My spotlight today is someone that is a brand. It's called Miracle Eye, and it is handmade clothing label by my mom and I. Cute. So two women who own this. It's sustainable and ethical. They actually have an LA storefront, and I love it. It ties into this episode because it definitely has a very 60s vibe. I was going to say, I was like, wow, what a tie-in. Mm-hmm. They also, it looks like, have a Airbnb called the House of Sunshine in Joshua Tree that's like very much decorated, like 60s mod. But I am obsessed with all their clothing. I have an artist project that's Daisy. And they have this like black jumpsuit that has just like a little daisy icon. Cute. And there's so many outfits that they have that I've added to a wish list of that would be so fun to wear one day. It's a little bit, I can't purchase it right away because of the cost, but it is, it's priced the way it is because of the fact that it is ethically and sustainably created, which is really cool. So I'm definitely a huge supporter of them. And cannot wait for the day that I can start purchasing. And honestly, some of their these prices products aren't that bad. No, it's not actually astrono- astronomical mm-hmm. at all. It's two hundred dollars for a great quality jumpsuit. Yeah, which like which you know, handmade, ethically that made. Sense. Like that's amazing that, that they're out. that cheap. So cool. I fully agree. So yeah, go check them out. They are really cool. And again, that's Miracle Eye. All right, now back to the show. So The Guardian named Bardot is one of the most iconic faces, models, and actors of the 1950s and 60s, and she's been called a style icon and a muse for Dior, Balmain, and Pierre Cardin. Pretty big names in fashion. In fashion, there's actually something called the Bardot neckline, which is a wide-open neck that exposes both shoulders that was named after her because she popularized the style, which is now more used for knitted sweaters or jumpers. Just Mm -hmm. the typical cutoff thing where both of the shoulders are exposed but the sleeves hang right here that's technically called the bardo neckline and it's because of her because of the way she styled it she also popularized the bikini in her early films such as menina in 1952 and then the following year she was photographed in a bikini on every beach in the south of france during the Cannes film festival she gained additional attention when she filmed and god created women and in it bardo portrays an immoral teenager like i mentioned who is just walking around in a bikini who seduces men in this respectable small-town setting. So from that, like, the bikini What a danger to society. Yes. It's just, like, it's (laughs) always, like, interesting to, like, read and remember, like, oh, my goodness, like, that was something that was outlandish. She also brought into fashion the, it's the choucro hairstyle, which is, like, a beehive hairstyle, and gingham clothes after she wore a checkered pink dress at her wedding to Charrier. Like Barbie? Yes, like Barbie. Exactly. 
That is so interesting. I wonder if that was a reference that they were also. I would honestly wonder. Okay, hold on. Because I knew that they were doing like a Wizard of Oz like reversal, but now I'm like, they might be doing a little subtle Bardo there. I think they might be actually because I just, hold on. Let me, it was designed by Jacques Estereal, so I'm going to Google it real quick. I think hers had sleeves, but it's still pink gingham. Yeah. I Pinking. bet that's a Barbie movie reference. I would not be surprised. Yeah. that's. I, I didn't you. even recognize the reference when I was doing the research. Um, I like finding Barbie references. Because you know it's so thought out. Oh, yeah. they. There is so much in that movie. What a masterpiece. What anyway. a masterpiece indeed. <laughs> Continuing on, there's also an Andy Warhol painting that she is a subject of. In addition to popularizing the bikini swimsuit, she's also credited with popularizing the city of... Saint-Tropez because of that movie. Also, there's a town in Brazil called Armasau do Buzios, I believe, that she visited in 1964 with her boyfriend at the time. And there's actually even like a statue of Bardot in a restaurant there because of the fact that like her being there popularized that place as a destination to go so they like man have that isabel bidenharn of l wrote that bardot quote had inspired thousands maybe millions of women to tease their hair or try out winged eyeliner over the past few decades which isn't teased hair and winged eyeliner like almost like a token of the 60s so for l yes. magazine to credit her as the person to inspire thousands if not millions of women to take that on i thought was so interesting that is definitely 60s yes so 60s another interesting thing is there's a well-known pose that describes an iconic modeling portrait shot around 1960 where she's dressed only in a pair of black pantyhose cross-legged over her front and crossed armed over her breast known as the bardo pose and then if you also were to look up the bardo pose i was like Oh my gosh, yeah, that is a look that has been redone and reimagined so many times since. I think even Giselle, the supermodel, she's recreated yeah. that original Bardo picture. So, and there's a lot of yeah, like, times it's been referenced. It's just cl classic. <laughs> that's crazy. Another thing, so she was actually idolized by the young John Lennon and Paul McCartney. They actually at one point made plans to shoot a film with the Beatles and Bardo but it never followed through. But Lennon's first wife, Cynthia Powell, actually lightened her hair color to more closely resemble Bardot. And George Harrison made comparisons between Bardot and his first wife, Patty Boyd. There was even a story I read about John Lennon being like so nervous to meet her for the first time. that He like took drugs because he's I'm so nervous and then just had a passing meaning. And I'm pretty sure there was like a moment that like John Lennon wrote one of his first songs about Bardot. And, and he called it BB, like after his girlfriend dumped him, he looked at his Bridget Bardot poster and wrote a song about how beautiful Bridget Bardot was or something like that. So like these iconic musicians at the time, like they grew up idolizing Bridget Bardot and like viewing her as this icon and wrote songs about her and she was their idol in a way. I guess like it was right before they really broke out. They're almost peers. Also, Bob Dylan, according to the liner notes of his first album, he dedicated the first song he ever wrote to Bardot. And he also mentioned her by name in I Shall Be Free, which appeared on his second album called The Free Willin'. The lyric is, while my telephone rang, it would not stop. It's President Kennedy calling me up. He said, my friend Bob, what do we need to make the country grow? He said, my friend John, Bridget Bardot, Anita Ekberg, Sophia Loren, country will grow. And this is a little crude. 
forgive me. But like I think I get where you're going. Men will grow and therefore the country will. Yes. Also, I'm pretty sure that I read something with Olivia Rodrigo about how she was listening to a lot of Bob Dylan and a lot of the classic songwriters. And so I was like, huh, I wonder if she heard him reference Bardot and was like, I have no idea. But I was like, that's like a cool way that it's like listening to older music maybe can introduce you to like other, I don't know, references, reference points. We'll say that about Olivia Rodrigo. She has so many references to old Mm -hmm. music. In her first album, she talked about Billy Joel and introducing that to her boyfriend. And you can Mm -hmm. tell she definitely studies a lot of these people that have gone before. And I really appreciate that about her. No, I really agree. It makes me want to do that even more. I thought that was like cool to get that parallel. And even in most recently in 2020, Vogue named Bardot number one of the most beautiful French actresses of all time. And then, quote, in a retrospective retracing women throughout the history of cinema, she was listed among the most accomplished, talented, and beautiful actress of all time. I guess to talk about the Bardot myth and, like, why was there so much surrounding her? These are quotes that I'm reading, by the way, so I don't maybe necessarily love the way everything's worded. But it Mm -hmm. says, with the actress with the face of Lolita, which, I mean, we talked about how that's not correct a couple weeks ago. But, and the curves of a femme fatale becomes the fantasy of men and the target of the leagues of virtues, who see in her a greater danger than a simple sex symbol, because Bridget Bardot displays in life the same freedom as her character, a girl of her time who has freed herself from all feelings of guilt, from all taboos imposed by society. That was also actually by the words of Roger Vadim. She freed herself from the codes of the bourgeoisie in which she was raised and presented herself along before 1968 as a bohemian, aligning husbands, foreign total, and lovers and inventing a style that was the opposite of sophistication in Hollywood stars. So she really just paved her own path. There was an article that I found called Bridget Bardot and the Scandal that Made Saint-Tropez Famous, where it talked a little bit more about this that I really loved. Bardot advocated the morality leagues as if she were some kind of illegal drug, Bardo's appeal is, in fact, unlike any other, based on her great beauty, a combination of ravenous sensuality and great style, she also fascinated at least two generations because of her lifestyle. For Bardot behaved in her private life just like a man. She had no restraints. She felt alien to convention. She was no wife and no mother. She tried both, was married four times, and had a child, but decided she was not cut out for it. And she was not acting out of any kind of rebellion. She was just being herself in the 50s. 15 years before Les Evenements of May 1862, such behavior was both a scandal and a secret aspiration for many other women. Which I, I like that pointing out where it was like a scandal, but the secret aspiration of yeah. other women. Um, they also, oh yeah, so this is the article that mentioned the story of John Lennon mad about the girl, had a giant poster of Bardot pinned on the ceiling of his bedroom, wrote a song after they broke up in 1968 called bb in which he sings all the way to her thighs which is booted and it's like a chalice to her beauty she wears nothing other than some essence of girlane in her hair whatever i know but just (laughs) they loved her um yeah they really truly did yeah this other quote is she is the first woman to have publicly displayed her sexual freedom before bardot a woman who changed lover at the slightest whim was called a bitch a salop after bardot such a woman was simply seen as a libere Unlike Hollywood actresses who played by the rules, Bardot set her own. She attracted women who wanted to do like her and men who simply wanted her. Which I thought was interesting and like a cool, I think, way to point out 
of course, unfortunately, too, her life was also very tumultuous. And I think another main reason why she stepped away from fame was Mm -hmm. because of the distress that it causes on just people and also on her. I think there were like suicide attempts and failed marriages. Like it wasn't necessarily this perfect, all glamorous life that she just so gracefully stepped away from the movies just to live out her animal rights dreams. It was also in a way that most typical Hollywood starlet taken advantage of fallen from grace. And I think that's also why she stepped away from the movies is she didn't like the fact that she was being swarmed by people wanting to take pictures every time she left her house. And obviously that makes sense. I think that's the thing that we see a lot of the time with people who are famous. Anyways, so just like I said, there's more to the Bardo myth and the icon that she was. And I think the fact that she did step away and has now been largely out of the limelight is something that has made that myth continue because people don't necessarily know about her. I guess they're maybe thinking about wanting to do some type of biopic. I feel like we talk about people all the time where it's like there's something in development and there's always something in development. Yeah. But there was someone who was like making it. What was his name? It was Danielle Thompson, who was a writer, director of a drama series called Bardot that's apparently in some type of development. This article actually came out last month. Maybe it'll actually be coming soon. Oh, everyone's on strike right now, so. So true. So it might be still another years from now. But anyways, (laughs) she approached Bardot about five years ago while developing the project. And quote, she answered with a very long letter saying that she was always surprised how unbelievably interested people were in her and did not quite understand why she was not left for good. But on the next page apparently wrote that as long as I know that it's going to be done anyway, I prefer that it's you who's done it. Anyway, so I just thought that was interesting that she said the fact that she surprised how unbelievably interested people were in her and she didn't understand why people didn't want to leave her alone. Other quotes about her is that she said, The madness which surrounded me always seemed unreal. I was never really prepared for the life of a star. I'm happier in my routine life today than I was when than when I was chased after by a hundred photographers. Another interesting thing that this Guardian article pointed out was that she's maybe deliberately destroyed her image as a sex symbol. She hasn't necessarily done the cosmetic surgeries. She dresses badly now and just lives in Saint-Tropez and lives in a small house surrounded by her rescued animals and a broken down Range Rover, apparently. But then she said, quote, you mustn't think I'm dissatisfied. That would be a form of bitterness. My life is now what I always wanted and what I dreamed about subconsciously. Wow. She got what she wanted. But I, I thought that was an interesting thing just to point out the fact that it's like, she herself hasn't worked to maintain the sex symbol image. And so I think it's where it's like the myth and the icon of her existed so much outside of her, which I'm sure that would be really hard to grapple with as a person. And I thought that was, I don't know, like an interesting thing to point out where it's like the myth of who you are, it's not even you anymore. But yet that myth and that icon still lives on. And yeah, she's still beautiful. She absolutely is. Yeah, I found a photo of her. She's a very beautiful older woman. I think she just let herself age. It's refreshing, honestly. Just let herself age. Yeah, that's it. I agree. I think it's also refreshing. I think it's funny. They're like, she didn't work to maintain the appeal. And that's not really your job once you get older. You don't have to do that. But I fully agree. I think it's more pointing out that it's just so different than her other peers at that time. No, that's super interesting. She's also, I would say, probably one of the only sex symbols that has gotten to old age. So Yeah, that's another interesting like, thing that I was really surprised she lived to be 88. And I wonder if part of that's because she stepped away so she left. intentionally. 
we've definitely talked about it, but Hollywood is not necessarily a great It's not kind to women. Yeah. Yeah. Especially not just to women, just people, period. Yeah. People in general. That's insane. I know. So there's Bridget Bardot. Now for all of my fellow Olivia Rodrigo fans, you get all the context behind Bardot reincarnate. You know exactly. Yeah. An icon. Sex kitten. I don't like that term, but... I don't either. It's so weird to me. (laughs) I know. I hate it, but whatever. I'm sure we've brought this up before, but I just am always so fascinated by this group obsession that people would have with women. Even in our last episode, we talked about the Simonetta Vespucci, who was the subject of the birth of Venus. Mm-hmm. And she was like this blonde bombshell that like the entire town was obsessed with. And they like jousted over her portrait and everything. So it just is there anyone like that right now? Because that... I feel like that's something that's changing with our time period is because media and celebrities and influencers and everything are so much more accessible. I feel like there's mm-hmm. not like one icon anymore. I think the most recent one that I can think of that's not as current is Megan Fox in like the early 2010s. Yeah. With I'm thinking of like men, like as a teenager. Like junior high and like yeah, every guy you'd ask did every single celebrity. guy. They would always say Megan, Megan Fox. Fox. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's different now. Like I don't think you can ask and always get the same answer from anyone anymore. Yeah. I'm trying to and think. And that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. some people would probably say Florence Pugh, but it's not that same crazed frenzy. No, I feel like women are more obsessed with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, you'd think Taylor Swift, but that's not in this same way. No. I think the most recent example would be like, Mar- like I said, Megan Fox in the 2010s. Yeah. And no, I if she's talked about that being this sex symbol, basically, and I'd like be the thing. to hope that maybe we've just realized how harmful it is. And so we're not doing that anymore. But I doubt that's the reason. Yeah. I hope so. I don't think we're that evolved as a society yet as much as I would love to think so. I'm trying to think if TikTokers could be... Like Alex Earl or something? Maybe, but even then, like, she's for the girls, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I hear a lot of girls talking about other girls. I don't hear a lot of men being obsessed with one singular figure in pop culture. And that's yeah. interesting. It's like shifting tides a little. And I don't know. It's just something to pay attention Maybe to. Maybe it's another thing, too, of I don't want to say women marketing themselves because I don't want to make it women's fault, per se. Or maybe media conglomerates recognizing that that won't maybe be taken well or that will be, like, critiqued yeah. if they market women that way to be, you know, like the sexual, I don't know, awakening or whatever for Interesting. people. That it's, like, better to be something that's, like, for girls as opposed to for guys. Does that make sense? I don't know. No, it's just so interesting, especially when we see these tropes that, like, exist through every time period and then you notice a shift. I always wonder what what causes it. Even if I think it's, like, a positive thing. Obviously, people have different preferences. I think it's a good thing that we don't hold one woman above Mm -hmm. as an idol of representation of everything. I I think that's really harmful, but it's just... It's interesting to see how things, yeah, are changing. But there's Bardot, Bridget Bardot reincarnate, the icon and the myth, another Hollywood starlet, basically. I mean, she was more, wasn't even necessarily a Hollywood starlet because her film career pretty much stayed in France. Yeah. So she's literally like just an icon. Yeah. (laughs) Just an icon, period. Yeah, because I don't think most people could even name like five Bridget Bardot movies. 
No, absolutely not. I had never even heard of the one that was her big breakout one. Me either. I'm like, cool, highest grossing? Would have never known. But to also shout out another episode, because we've done that all episode long, <laughs> the Mary Quant episode, where we talked about the swinging 60s a lot, but also because she was the inventor of the miniskirt. So mm-hmm. if you want to tie in with this one, it's all about the same period, sexual revolution and the changing of styles and women's fashion. That I don't remember if Bardot was a call out in that episode or not, if we mentioned her, but I she's think, definitely adjacent to everything going on yeah, there. Yeah, so. I think we talked a little bit more British. Yes, that's true. So I think we brought up Twiggy, but mm-hmm, Bardot true. would definitely be like the French version of that. Yeah. So check that out if you want to learn more, if this is the time period you're interested in. Yeah. And cool. we will be back next week with an episode. So check back with us next week. And yeah, we'll be back then. We'll see you then. Don't forget to rate, review, follow us on Instagram, tell a friend, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye.